clinical disclaimer. This podcast is focused on education and entertainment. While we love to help and teach, it is not meant to be used as a replacement for clinical services. If you are experiencing significant relationship issues or major concerns in your sexual, physical, or mental health, please seek the services of a professional provider near you. Welcome to the University of Pleasure, where we have sexual conversation to help build a happier nation. I'm Dr. Tara Jansen, licensed psychologist and certified sex therapist. And I'm Jeremiah James. And I'm just a guy who likes talking about sex. S-E-X, sex, sex, sex. Go sex. I'm sorry, I'm a little, I, I'm a little, have a little bit of Super Bowl hangover still. I know it was a few <laughs> weeks ago, but I get really excited about it. I couldn't help it. Because that was my cheer. Did you feel it? I, I totally felt it. Sorry, I didn't watch the Super Bowl, so I can't really. I know that I just lost a lot of people's respect. And we are back, folks, for episode two of season two. And it feels so good to say that because I really am very excited to be back doing season two of the University of Pleasure with my dear friend, the Doc. Doc, how's it going today out there? It's going all right, you know, just just a trucking along like everyone else. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. We hope you are all safe and healthy in this crazy worldwide pandemic. But hopefully, as we said in our last episode, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we will all get there together. So hopefully today we'll bring you a little bit of pleasure. And we're also very excited to announce very soon the Amy book from our publishing arm of the University of Pleasure is going to have an audiobook. Are you excited about the audiobook version of this, Doc? I, I am. I'm very excited. Are you doing it? No, I'm not reading it. I mean, I oh. directed it, but I'm not reading it. Did I just oh, tell you? Who, very, who, then I, I am very excited. You should be excited. Do you know why? Because <laughs> the talent that I hired to read this book, do you know who it is? My Next. ex-wife. Can you believe that? What do we think of them apples, huh? Look at that. You know what, Jeremiah? That is actually a very good example that, you know, divorce always doesn't need to look the same way and people can find ways to continue to get along and work Absolutely. together. Well, let me just tell you, she's an incredible woman. She has been an amazing friend and I am so thrilled. And genuinely, I feel so lucky because it doesn't, look, divorce doesn't look the same for everybody. And I'm very lucky that I have somebody in my life that we had a wonderful time together. We learned so much together and about each other and grew together. Maybe weren't meant to be husband, wife, but definitely meant to love, care, and support each other. So Kelly Dorney, if you're listening out there, I love you. And I'm so excited that you're going to be the voice of Amy in the book series audiobook. Boom. What do you think of that? Hmm? I think it's great. I'm excited. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. More details on that will be coming soon. We shall explain all. So hold tight. Amy fans, now back to work here at the University of Pleasure <laughs> podcast arm of the University of Pleasure. We got a topic today, which I love the title because in the title is the name of one of my all-time favorite wrestlers, professional wrestling-wise. And uh, the topic itself, I think is uh, it's going to be interesting. 
So let's <laughs> jump in. What do we think, Doc? Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Here we go. Sober sex. Try it. You might like it. Why it's worth giving it a go. Stone cold sober. See how I emphasized the stone cold? See how I, I did, did that? I did. Did you like that? And you know who As I'm a, referencing? I have a quick question, Jeremiah. I have a quick question. As a child, were you like one of these children that would consistently be like, do you see this? Do you see what I'm doing now? Do you see this? <laughs> do you see what I'm doing right now? You don't know me. You don't know how it was. <laughs> I just would really like to know. I just, I, I have a suspicion. So Stop I'm just psychologizing kidding. me. You didn't know me as a kid, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Look at me now. Look at me now. Look at me now. I see what I did there? <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin, for those of you who didn't know who I was referencing. And Stone Cold, if you'd love to come on the podcast and talk about uh, sex in the University of Pleasure, we'd love to have you. Stone Cold, like he has his own podcast. I think we could cross-pollinate the Stone Cold podcast with the University of Pleasure. I'm just putting it out there in the universe. Stone Cold Steve Austin, are you listening? Let's talk about this topic. Sober that sex, was... try it. You might like it. What are we talking about here? Well, first, I just want to say that was some of the most shameless self-promotion I've ever heard. But 100%. Secondly... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought that this would be a good topic, right? Because, uh, you know, I think it's something that we really don't talk about all that often. I mean, and I want to be really clear today that there are a lot of people out there already having sex sober, right? So this may not be something that's necessarily specifically for them. True. But I do still think it's an interesting topic, um, you know, that is relevant to a lot of people. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, a lot of times, especially in the swinging lifestyle, I came to find that a lot of people, it was like some people felt the need to have a couple of drinks to like loosen up, that sort of thing. And that's kind of what we're talking about today and then doing it sobered, like not needing the drinks, right? And then well, living also a sober lifestyle, somebody that might have, you know, had trouble with drugs and alcohol and now is completely sober. So I think there's a lot of things to unpack here is what I'm feeling. Am I anywhere close yeah, or as, did as I just... Always, as always, Jeremiah, there's probably multiple layers to what we're talking about and different right. ways we could talk about it. And we'll do what we can in the time allotted. Let's heal the world <laughs> in 45 minutes flat. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think like one of the things that you indicated is very real, right? Like I think one of the dynamics where this might come up a lot, right, is when, you know, you meet somebody new, you want to be sexual. What do a lot of people do? Drink. Right? Drink, right? A lot of people might have a couple cocktails or have a little liquid courage, right? That's a very common part of, like, some first dates. Maybe not necessarily the first date. 100%. Right. Right. And so that's, and you know, and, and, you know, I'm probably today going to talk a little bit more about alcohol because it's probably the one that more commonly comes up. But people might use other substances too, right? Like cannabis. Mm. And I also, I want to be clear, right, that we're sort of talking about maybe the casual use of some of these things. And also that we're not necessarily promoting or saying that, uh, you know, because cannabis still is illegal in many states. Yes, right? it is. So yes, it is. Be aware of your local laws. Yes, anyway, please do. Yes. But I want to actually, but today's focus is on being sober when being sexual. There right? you go. So I, I, what I'm talking about, though, that this is a common behavior that people engage in, especially, and, you know, we can talk about it, like, sometimes it persists in, you know, long-term relationships, but it definitely is a very common behavior in kind of first-time or early sexual encounters, right? Because those are, right, uh, makes sense. Those are a little bit more um, 
inherently anxiety provoking. So people will use substances as sort of that, you know, like in the case of alcohol, kind of liquid courage, right? Um, You know, I, I do think though, for some people that pattern persists, right? Like I certainly know some folks or have had some clients over the years where, you know, they've actually rarely been sexual without a little substance, right? Like a couple glasses of wine or a glass of wine or something to get them started. I don't mean to stop you, but there was a really great episode of King of Queens about this. And in the end, they had, I'm dead serious, okay? And I don't watch a lot of TV. It was one of those things where it was like randomly on TV and I had randomly turned on the, and what were well, you going to say? Something. It's King of Queens. No, I'm just trying to remember. Is that that show with like Le- Leah Remney and James, yes. what's yeah. his name? Kevin, Kevin James? Kevin James. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so what Kevin James discovers in this episode, and I can't believe it's kind of funny that we're talking about this because I literally, it's I think it's the only episode I ever watched on the show. <laughs> but in the episode, he discovers like, his wife comes home. She's stressed out. He, like, makes her a drink off the cuff. And I'm sorry if I'm bastardizing this. But, you know, she gets another drink. She loosens up and all of a sudden they have sex. He realizes, oh, my God, this may be the key <laughs> to having lots of sex with my wife more often, right? And they've been together for, like, 20 years or something. And so then every night she comes home, he starts preparing <laughs> the cocktail hour because he wants to have sex with his wife. Until towards the end of the episode, she then realizes what he's doing because it gets to the point of grandeur and silliness because it's obviously a sitcom where he's like rolling out a rolling bar like, what could I get for you tonight, honey? (laughs) And she's like realizing, why are you doing this? And he has to finally admit like it's the one thing that kind of leads Mm -hmm. us into this place. And I think that's kind of correlates what we're talking about today. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, part of why that's probably in a sitcom is that, you know, usually the comedy in sitcoms is comedy that people can relate to. Correct, right? correct. But in the end, so, they do talk and communicate and have a tough conversation about it. And their relationship grows. I'm glad that the King of Queens really tied a good bow on it. They then. really did. You know, I thought that's why I thought it was good for this. So can, well, please good. continue. Well, thank you. But that is a good example, right? Like that shows up in sitcoms and people have a laugh, right? Like it is a very common behavior that people might use, particularly alcohol, right? And again, sometimes other substances, but often alcohol to sort of help, you know, the, the interesting thing is people will often say, well, like I, I get a drink because it helps put me in the mood. And one of the things that I argue is, Alcohol is not putting you in the mood. Alcohol is maybe putting you in more of a state that feels like relaxation that allows you to access your sexual desire, access your arousal. Alcohol doesn't, it's not like a, it's not like a sex serum, you know, like it doesn't. Totally. What it's doing is it's reducing your inhibitions or maybe lowering maybe your experience of anxiety or stress. And again, I don't want to be like Judge Judy here and be like, you should never have a glass of wine before being sexual or you should never. It's more about. By the way, is that what Judge Judy sounds like? It's not. She's she's not. I'm not going to even try to do a Judge Judy impression. Okay, please continue. Much respect to her. She's like one of the wealthiest women, I think, in like. She's a hardcore man. She's a hardcore rock star. And incidentally. Judge Judy, if you'd like to come on the University of Pleasure and talk to us, I'm sorry. I don't know. I would be very intimidated. Oh, I would love to have her on. I think she would smack me around verbally in ways that would be so like, it's okay, Judge Judy. Like, you are awesome. Like, just <laughs> do what you want. Lay it on me. <laughs> we just learned We just learned a lot about you right there, Jeremiah. Anyway. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
you know, so I don't, I don't want to be judgy about that. Right. Like some people, I'm not saying that like as an every once in a while behavior that that's, you know, that it's not an acceptable behavior or you're bad or you're wrong in doing that. But I do think it's willing to at least consider why at times it might be beneficial to kind of step away from that pattern or to step away from that habit. And the idea of why it might be useful to step away, especially from alcohol, when you're going to engage in a first time sexual encounter with someone. Yes. Agreed. Wholeheartedly. Um, You know, I, and I do want to be clear, like I'm talking about like having like a moderate level of inebriation, there's obviously a difference between like being hammered and having like a glass of wine. Yeah, and (laughs) like that's also, I'm sorry, being super hammered and like then wanting to have sex. I mean, is that really that sexy? Is it? Someone's like, yeah, really. No, that's not really that sex. Most of the, sexy. Most of the time, people are not having that good of sex. You also start to run into consent issues. Consent that problems, right? Exactly, exactly. So, I, but I'm talking a little bit more about the stuff that people do to, like, quote unquote, take the edge off. Yeah. And I would say that people do have a tendency if they're going to over imbibe pre a sexual event. It's often before kind of a first time sexual event or an earlier sexual experience with someone, right? You know, also we could, you know, I don't want to dig too deep of a hole here, but, you know, we could also talk about like in many ways, culturally, a lot of people use substances to make casual sex okay. Right. Making themselves feel better about it, right? Is that what you're going to say? Or, you know, getting over inhibitions or anxiousness that around casual sex, like if you think about it, like, you know, a lot of ways in our culture, casual sex is okay if you were at a bar and, you know, you had a few too many drinks, but casual sex feels very different if you sought it out online and you specifically planned it and then you met with someone. Now, I would argue that action B (laughs) would actually probably involve a lot more fun. Agreed. Have a lot better outcome. But interestingly, it's action A that feels a little bit more socially acceptable to people. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. So. Um, you know, I think one of like the hardest sort of sale pitches around the idea of sober sex for people is that idea that it means that they might have to approach some of that anxiety. Yeah. Have to deal with it. Yeah. No liquid courage to help you get over the bridge. Yeah. You know, you have to be much more vulnerable, right? Like, and so that's part of what people are trying to avoid through substances is that, and, and, and again, I'm not judging this. Like it is hard. It isn't, it is inherently anxiety provoking to be sexual with a new person. Yes. And I would never just tell somebody like, oh, well you should try to be sexual with someone new and don't just don't worry about it. Don't be anxious. I think that's terrible advice. It is terrible advice. Yeah. I think what we talk about is like, be anxious. And if you hang in there long enough over time, you know, think of like exposure therapy, jump in that cold pool, stay in the water long enough, right? It's mm-hmm. going to start to feel warmer, right? Same idea. Right. Engage with an anxiety provoking stimulus. You kind of engage with it long enough. It's going to start to feel less anxiety provoking over time. Facing you your fears. Right. And so you you can't really develop that sort of inoculation to that anxiety if you don't start to approach it. And I would say beyond just new sexual encounters, like for those like long longer term sexual encounters where somebody might be using substances to manage their like maybe they're like, I just I really have a hard time, you know, ever like kind of getting out of my head or being stressed. Like if you use like a drink or two or whatever to get into that headspace, it means that you're never actually having to learn how to create different skills to do that, right? You're never actually really maybe approaching what it feels like to manage the experience of stress in a sexual event. And while that might sound very unpleasant, 
it's also very beneficial, right? Because usually it's just a hump that people have to get over. Also, hump, hump get yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, it's a double entendre that was not meant. Oh, but so yes. <laughs> um, so all of those are reasons that I think it can be beneficial about thinking about starting to look at like being sober for maybe first time sexual encounters. Like, so for instance, you know, there's nothing that says that you can't go on a date with somebody, have a couple drinks, maybe, you know, if you want to kiss or make out lightly, but then be like, Hey, I want to wait. I want to wait to like be sexual, right. Until we've been able to like, until, and you know, plan another time to hang out and then maybe very purposefully don't use substances in trying to be sexual. And again, that like requires like taking a little bit of a risk and trying to get that other person to take that risk with you. Um, but you're probably going to have more fun because part of the risk with, especially if you've kind of over imbibed of a first time sexual encounter of being maybe, uh, being under the influence is often that, you know, people's performance isn't always the best when they've yeah. had a few. You know, this, I'm going to hail back to another TV show. You, you think of there's a really great Family Guy episode where they start a band and they think they're like the greatest band because they're like smoking a lot and drinking a lot, I think. I, I don't remember it 100%. But then like they keep thinking they're the greatest band ever. And then finally we <laughs> – the flip side of it is everybody's watching them and they're absolutely not great. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like – but they think they're awesome because they're a little messed up. And that can happen in sex because I can honestly tell you. I've run into that problem. I, I can't say that I've always been on my A game when I've been drinking, you know, and the older I've gotten, even though the nurses, by the way, because I had a stress test recently for my heart because I'm now 40 and the nurses oh. said I was really, that I was so young and I was like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> That's so sweet of you. Anyway, it's not the point. It's not about me and my heart, but my heart's fine. Anyway, the point is good that, thank you for being concerned, um, is that really as we get older, then you can run in if you're a male. You can run into uh, problems keeping an erection. You can be a little bit sloppy in your cunnilingus and not really be paying as close attention to what your partner may want, all that kind of stuff. I mean, are you feeling where I'm going with this, Doc? Yeah, and, and I guess that's sort of my point, right? Like the more substance, you know, you've used, you know, you might in your head be like, I'm doing amazing, yep. right? But you might actually be lacking a fair amount of finesse, right? Like yeah. you're not as sort of like, I mean, literally you're not, there's a reason they say you can't drive. You don't have as much motor control, Correct. right, as you have when you're not under the influence. Um, also, people start to have many more physiological difficulties, right? So you mm -hmm. brought up like erectile dysfunction, right? Yeah. People have a much harder time. Which has never happened to me before. I just keeping, want to be very clear. It has absolutely happened to it's you. Not, it's um, not true. It has happened to nearly everyone. We are trying to normalize these experiences, Jeremy. It's totally fine if it has happened to people. It may have happened to me. But that's not <laughs> continuing. Right. Oh, or, you know, it also starts to interfere with orgasm. Right. Sure. So like sometimes people, right, might it take them much longer to orgasm or they cannot orgasm at all. And so a lot of times it can actually really cause someone to like n with a new sexual partner, like misassess the sexual potential they might have with somebody. Right. Right. Like you're like, you have a sexual encounter and maybe it's not all that great. Or maybe if you're really under the influence, you can't even really remember much of it. And so you, you know, it 
people start to have a hard time assessing whether or not they're really sexually compatible with someone. And sometimes things go so awry, like, and I wouldn't call getting having erectile function so awry, but some people might feel like that's so awry that they actually are embarrassed. And so then they avoid that person in the future. That's that right. That is exactly what has lot. happened to somebody that wasn't me uh, when I that person that wasn't me had that problem. So well, do there you, you go. Speak more, do you want to speak more plainly? That was super confusing, Jeremiah. Well, I'm just saying that somebody I know may have had that problem, erectile dysfunction from drinking too much and was quite embarrassed when something like that happened to them who wasn't me, because being very clear, and that then avoided that person a little bit. And I'm, yeah. Okay, so you're saying that that happened to you and that you avoided someone because you had a hard time <laughs> I don't know why getting you an erection. I think it was me. I just made it very clear many times that it was somebody that I knew. But that's not the point. Continue. Well, anyway, thank you, Jeremiah, for that very helpful example. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I... I would say that, you know, and that's, that happens, right? Like I've actually had friends, clients, right? Like a lot of people that have been on either on like the end of the person that felt too embarrassed. They're like, oh, I'm too embarrassed. That went really badly. And so someone like really great that they connected, like, you know, that they felt connected with outside of sex, they kind of feel like they have to let go or someone feels like really bummed and they're like, I don't know, like the sex got kind of weird because, you know, we both had a few drinks. And so then they just stopped contacting me. And so that's also something that, you know, is sort of a risk. Um, so it's just, you know, something to think about that, like these things are all some, some potential costs of being under the influence when you have first time encounters with people. And again, I understand that is a cultural norm, right? And I think everything I'm talking about is always like requires a little bit of bravery. Um, I, I also want to say, you know, just very clearly, and I know I mentioned it earlier, right? Like it also is very easy to start mm, saying yes or even sort of being malleable to things that you normally wouldn't be malleable to when you're under the influence and then later not feeling so great about that. Right? Yes, so good that's point. More of an very, issue of very good point. Right. Yeah, because like you might you might go into a situation and feel really great about it because you've had too much to drink and you might do things, try things that might bring up shame after you become sober and be like, you know what? I really don't feel as good about that as I thought I did when I was drinking and yada, yada, yada. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, because if you remember, like what do substances often do? Well, they often, especially alcohol, right, lowers your inhibitions. But what people forget is they are there for a reason, right? right? Right. We need everyone has anxiety to varying degrees. You if you numb out that response enough, then you like that's the stuff that we use to cue us into what doesn't feel good, what sure. doesn't feel right. Like those are those are our like alarm bells. And if you've numbed that out too much, then it becomes really hard to access that or you're accessing it on a delay. And so now you've actually gone a little further than you wanted to go because your normal sort of like alarm system isn't in place. And and that's one of the things that we often forget. I also think it's important from like a partner perspective, like you're not as in tune with people's cues, right? So like the, the it, this is where consent stuff starts to get really tricky when under the, that's why there's laws around this, right? Yes. Because, because 
you can't accurately assess if you're also under the influence and they're in, under the influence or only one person is. It becomes very difficult to read nuanced cues around like, you know, someone making an expression or a body movement might, that might indicate that they don't like or don't want what you're doing, right? For sure, for sure. And that becomes very difficult. And again, there's a, it often creates a delay. So, I mean, those are some things that are you know, just, you know, obviously like some logistical things to think about. If we also start thinking about it in more longer term relationships, you know, when you're under the influence, you also are struggling to experience the same level of stimulation, right? So let's say you're like a long-term couple, right? And it's maybe more one of those scenarios of like, I need to have a couple glasses of wine. Okay. Uh, but having that couple glasses of wine, it might, again, numb out some of that, like maybe stress, some of that kind of uh, central nervous kind of sympathetic activation that you're experiencing, kind of calm you down a little bit. But it's also numbing out some of your sensory information. Yeah. Right? Agreed. I look at it like this, okay? And then let me step in here, Doc. I can help you, okay? <laughs> Thank you for helping me, Jeremiah. You're yes, welcome. please. It's like riding a roller coaster, right? And if you're going to get on the roller coaster, you don't want to be hammered. Right. And why? Because, you know, there's all kinds of issues that could happen. You could get sick. You could throw up. You might not be able to enjoy it properly because your senses are numbed. OK, but it's the anticipation, all that buildup, all that fun, all that like, ooh, we're waiting in line for 10 hours to get on this one great <laughs> roller coaster. And if the excitement is building. The excitement is building. If you were drunk in that whole process, you might be numbed on the anticipation and, and, and that butterfly in your stomach feeling like when you're going up that first thing to the top of the thing before that first drop right there. That could all be numbed. You might lose out on that. Then if you were really drunk, you might not, you know, you might have gotten on that roller coaster and not really wanted to ride that roller coaster, right? You see what I'm saying? Right. You see how this works so perfectly? By the way, Six Flags, if you would like to endorse the University oh of Podcast. Oh my gosh, please stop. Please end. I, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just saying that was like the perfect melding of what you were saying because it's really about the anticipation and getting on there, enjoying the moment that may only last a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that that uh, there is some truth to that. Thank you. You know, I I do think. Thank you for your analogy. Thank you very much. Of what I just said, but thank you for your. <laughs> Sometimes people need a recap. It's true. You're right. Sometimes they do. Um, but you know that numbing out right really does make it difficult to sometimes enjoy the sensory experience or even have the sensory experience that you want to have That's because right. you know touch touch that sensation those experiences you're just going to be so much more tuned into it and in many ways that's really going to build it's going to create a better template for building arousal more effectively and things like pleasure right and you know orgasm but again don't put too much pressure on orgasm but that's if, right. if orgasm is a part of that you know it's very rare that i hear people saying that their best sexual experiences their most mind-blowing sexual experiences were when under the influence now granted there are certain like types of uh, substances that people really feel like enhance one, you know, like certain types of drugs or things that might enhance them. But, you know, you can't use those on a day-to-day -day basis. And again, we are not endorsing We're not promoting, not endorsing. Yep, absolutely not. But I'm just, but I am not going to pretend that people don't use those, right, right, to enhance the sexual experience. Correct. But you, 
getting in like a lot of the best sexual experiences that people have are when sober, right? And why are those experiences so good? Well, because you're plugged in to what's going on when you're, when you're, you know, even if you've had a glass, right, of whiskey or wine or whatever it might be, like you're still, you've pulled yourself a little bit out of presence, right? A little bit out of that moment. And beyond just the fact that it's a, you know, that the physical stimulation of things, you might be more tuned in with it, or it might feel a little bit better. Um, you know, you also might start putting yourself on a different plane than your partner, right? hundred percent hundred percent you know you might be on like you know a plane of like woohoo and they might be existing on a total another like plane of something else and yeah. now all of a sudden that's going to start to interfere with you know part of what makes great sex is that connectivity that being in the moment with another person and if you're both existing in different moments right like yeah if you're in the woohoo and they're in the wah wah like it's not going to really mix well you both want to be on the same plane you want to be communicating and talking and making sure that everybody's getting what their needs are and having fun and enjoying and exploring right right well and you know the the reality is is that like when you're sober, you definitely have just, I mean, literally from like a neurological perspective, like you have a much greater capacity for more specific nuanced conversation. You know, you also, and what that allows for like communication conversation and what that allows for is more nuanced learning and teaching of one another. Yes. Right. Like, because if you're numbing something out, like you're not taking in as specific of data, right? Like whether that's what you're doing to someone else or what someone is doing to you. And so it becomes harder to give directives that are more specific. Uh, so, you know, I think that one of the greatest benefits of sober sex is that it allows you to focus on that experience. Like it allows you to focus on the sexual experience itself rather than having multiple experiences at one time. Right. Because remember being high is an experience being drunk is an experience. And if you're, you know, drunk and trying to have sex, right. Or if you're under the influence and trying to have sex, now you have two competing experiences, two competing sensory experiences, and that will pull you out of things. As an aside, just some other, and we have to take a break. Can I do another, like a couple quick benefits of sober sex? I mean, yes, that is what this yes, is about. Yes, a couple, couple okay. more. Okay. You can be much more creative, right? When you're sober, you're probably again, tapping much more into your creativity, right? Because you have full faculty of mind. That makes <laughs> right? sense. That 100% yeah. makes Yeah, totally with you. Right. Um, and it also, biggest sell, and this is the hardest sell, but the biggest sell is that it really helps you learn how to be more vulnerable, right? And we talk a lot about vulnerability because those mind-blowing sexual moments, I will tell you pretty much across the board for most people, they are requiring some component of vulnerability. Yes. And and well, sex in sex. and of itself is a vulnerable position to be in. You're both being naked yes. together. And we've talked about this in the first season and past episodes. Um, the ones that obviously based on the last episode that I was listening to clearly that are um, – because if you didn't listen to the last episode, I was quizzed on whether or not I was listening. So I'm not just like overly engaged today and I'm not being sensitive at all. I just was put on the spot. Um, that's not the point of this. Anyway, the point is – past episodes, we talked about this. And being in a sexual situation with somebody is a very vulnerable position to be in. doesn't matter how high your confidence is, no matter how much of a rock star you think you might be. Very, very vulnerable. And if you can face that vulnerability, it can make it better. It can make it more exciting and fun and communicative and all those things. Right, Doc? 
Right. And that vulnerability is about the ability to be sort of the purest, rawest version of yourself yes. with another person. Yes. And that's part of what makes for really good, amazing sex. Do you want to take a break now? I, I was just whenever you read it. That was my big finish on this portion. That was my big finish on this you portion. You know what? And you stuck that landing. I mean, <laughs> 10 out of 10 on that landing, Doc. That was so good. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about sex when sober. The doc is going to explain some other things for those who might have struggled with substance abuse in the past. What does that even mean? You'll find out when we come back. And we're back. Struggles with substance abuse is where we kind of left you all hanging, excited about finding out what we're going to be talking about here. And by we, I of course mean the doc. So explain, please, for all of us, including myself. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I think, you know, what we were just talking about, I would say, are maybe people that might use substances in ways that are maybe not overly problematic, problematic, right? Like they're using it to, for the most part, a reasonable degree. But I do think that there are some specific things that can happen maybe for some of, if we have some listeners or people out there that maybe are in sobriety, right? Or have had sure. like some pretty significant issues with substance use. Because sex when sober sometimes can after like someone has really struggled with substance use, particularly if a lot of their sexual behavior was when under the influence of particular substances, that can sometimes be a really tricky thing to come back from. Sometimes part of what can actually make sobriety tricky for some people, and I actually do a lot of work with clients around some of this stuff. So, you know, this is something I've absolutely seen just in some of my day-to-day -day work is this idea that if you take the substance away, that sex won't be good. Right. Mm. There are certain sub there are certain substances that get paired with sex a lot. Right. So like um, where there might people might start to develop some substance use concerns. Right. So like methamphetamines would be a good example. Cocaine, like certain type of simulants. Right. Some people it might be cannabis. Some people it might be alcohol, but that it's a pairing of those two things. And, you know, when two things get paired together for long enough, we've talked about this before. Right. We've talked about like Pavlov's dogs. Right. You pair the bell and the food, the bell and the food. Right. Mm -hmm. Then you start to ring the bell and the dogs, you know, in that example of Pavlov's dogs, the dogs start to salivate because they associate the bell with food. Right. That's right. We, we have a brain built on associations. And so it gets to be really tricky when maybe two things have been paired together for a really long time to try to get people to disassociate those things. And some people just also create a bit of an attachment. Right. Like I've worked with plenty of clients over the years who, you know, part of you know, maybe what led to a relapse or part of maybe what actually made getting sober really difficult was this idea that like they couldn't have good sex without the substance. Oh, um, okay. So that's something you've seen a lot of in, in with folks that have come mm -hmm. back from like, I, this is all new to me. So this is something very, I'm, you know. Yeah, no, it, it, and it is something that I've seen a lot. I would say certain substances are a little bit more, um, maybe vulnerable to that, like methamphetamines, meth okay. would be one that's pretty vulnerable to that. Some people also, maybe part of the reason that they started pairing a substance with sex in the first place is because they maybe had certain anxieties or insecurities or difficulties with sex. And that substance 
you know, maybe it didn't just enhance their experience, but it also helped them numb out or sort of alleviate some of that anxiety or stress, right? Like sometimes sure. it might be somebody that's maybe uncomfortable with some of their sexual wants or needs, or maybe um, their sexual desires or their sexual orientation or whatever it might be. Somebody might have some discomfort with that and maybe shame or guilt, and they might use substances to help sort of uh, quiet quiet that distress, right? Sure. And so part of the fear in going back might be like, how am I going to quiet that distress? Because that's what I've used in the past, right? For some people, it really might just be that they were using a substance and they used it and they're like, oh my, like, I'm not going to lie, meth would be a substance, right? Where people will use it and be like, I felt like I was a fucking God, you know what I mean? And so part of what those substances might do is really for a brief period of time, start to enhance an experience. Obviously, when you start making that a habit and a pattern, it starts to like kind of have a downward, <laughs> you know, there's yeah, a diminishing yeah, returns yeah. effect on some of these or like cocaine, right? Like certain types of experiences might do that. But the other thing that might come up for people in sobriety is that um, sex itself, because it was paired with a substance, might start to feel really scary because part of what people often have to do, not everybody, different people get to sobriety differently, right? So these are gross generalizations, so know that. But part of what people might need to do to get sober is to start to have some pretty strict, pretty firm boundaries with themselves, right? Sure. And start to be yeah, yeah. very judicious about their decisions and what they do. And part of that is really like buttoning things up, right? And so sex and re-engaging with sex after sobriety can be really nerve wracking, particularly if it's been paired with, you know, sex and a substance, sex and a substance, people can start to feel really afraid that if they're to be sexual, it's going to trigger urges to you to want to use, right? Because often in sobriety, people are trying to like do their best to avoid certain triggers to use, right? Because right. the more people, you know, fighting an urge to do something while you can certainly like do things and use skills to like navigate urges and an urge doesn't mean that you're going to definitely do a behavior. It does make it trickier, right? Like it does make it harder not to engage in a behavior, of right? Of course, of course. It, I can only imagine. Right. So that that pairing of the two, a lot of people might start to actually avoid sex after sobriety for a couple of reasons, one of which is being afraid that it might trigger, especially if it was paired a lot with that particular, with the, the substance they're getting sober from or substances, it might be like, well, there is a part of me that's fearful that if I start to be sexual again, or if I start to be sexual in maybe some of the ways I really like to be sexual and paired it with, that I'm going to suddenly want to use, right? Or it's going to make it more difficult not to use. And so that's a very real fear that people have. And, and I'm not going to lie. These are all things that I would absolutely say that if you're struggling with stuff like this, I really, if you have the resources and if you're able, and there are a lot of resources out there that are affordable or free, that you do try to get help with that because this is probably not something I'd really encourage someone to just be like, oh, and just like, you know, read a book and that's enough. Yeah, right? let me just read a quick book. Let me just uh, watch right. a couple of YouTube videos and jump back into the field yep. of sex and fun. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, that's... I totally agree with you, Doc. You know, basically what you're saying to me, I mean, would be something, one that would be a, a very difficult thing to overcome and that I think, you know, it would be extremely important to be able to talk to someone like yourself who can truly help along the way giving a good roadmap of how to deal with those anxieties and the fear that you might relapse or, you know, that one thing might start a problem, you know, the, the problem with substance abuse all over again. So totally good call. Reach right. out.
get some help yeah. on that for sure. Well, and, you know, a part of what, um, you know, in doing some of that work, like part of what I'm usually helping people do is kind of fight with some of those beliefs, right? Start to challenge some of those beliefs. If the belief is like sober sex can't be good sex, right? Like really trying to challenge that and fight that belief. Or maybe it's coming from that place of like, so like if you think about it, like to, if if to get sober, somebody's road to getting there was really needing to be very strict with themselves. And it can be scary because, right, it does require this letting go, right? And if you just were able to be successful at getting sober because in certain ways you kind of button things up, that sensation of letting go can feel really terrifying because a lot of people sort of have to figure out how to maybe keep boundaries in one area while allowing themselves some like a little bit more freedom in another, right? Like letting themselves let go of control in another area. And that's kind of finding that balance. So a lot of the work that I end up doing with people in sobriety around sex is figuring out how to trust themselves around pleasure again, yeah. right? Because sometimes with, with substance abuse, the issue is like going overboard with pleasure, right? Like becoming like overly hedonistic where it's like everything becomes more about that pleasure-based, right? Like that's substances, that's what it does, right? Like it creates, it's hitting our pleasure centers, all of those kind of things. And so, you know, pleasure is a really important part of life. And so we never want any pendulum swing from one extreme to the other, right? Like finding a balance of that, right? A good solution is not usually like, okay, well, pleasure got me into trouble. So now no more pleasure, right? Or all pleasure all the time, right? Like you're trying to help people find a sustainable balance. And so, Usually, like I said, the work that I'm helping people with is figuring out what does that balance look like and how can I re-engage in pleasure, especially sexual pleasure, in ways that feel sustainable, that I can, you know, if they were struggling with some anxiety issues that they were using the substances for, right, like that I can also, you know, manage some of that anxiety or whatever the difficulties might have been. But that rebuilding of, of trust with self is a huge part of the work. So. All right. Well, I learned a lot today, Doc, and I'm not going to lie, because that whole second half was very interesting to me. Not that the first half wasn't interesting, but this was something I really had never even thought about, that somebody who had, you know, become sober and was, you know, could possibly be frightened of sex because of how it may lead to feeling like it could relapse and all those things. And thank you. I feel educated. How about well, you? Good. I mean, I mean, do you feel good that you educated me? Because you should. I, I do. I, <laughs> I mean, I regularly try to educate you, Jeremiah. Doc, I'm grateful for you. Varying degrees of success. <laughs> I am very grateful, and I know we've got a lot of listeners out there of our millions and millions of fans that uh, are grateful as well that you were able to tackle this in a very concise and direct way. And hopefully those out there who may be struggling with sobriety, please, if this is something that really is kind of ticking those boxes that the doc is talking about, take the time to go find somebody. There's a lot of ways to get therapy nowadays, um, whether it be online, even in the midst of a global pandemic, and try to find someone that maybe you could sit down and talk to that can help you through some of those anxieties and uh, finding a good place because, like the doc said, pleasure is important. And here at the University of Pleasure, we're all about pleasure. Isn't that right, doc? That is absolutely right. A Thank balance you. of pleasure. <laughs> thank you very much. And in closing, I would like to thank Stone Cold Steve Austin oh, God. for being an inspiration to me for so many years. Why? Stone Cold forever. And uh, 
If you would like to come on the University of Pleasure, please uh, feel free to contact <sighs> our agents in representation or leave us a, something at uh, contact at theuniversityofpleasure.com. Anyway, the point is, thank you, everyone. I had a great time today. Doc, I'm so happy to be back. I'm so happy to be working with you again. And uh, we're going to say our goodbyes. So everyone, please stay safe out there. Take care of each other and be kind. It's still really difficult. And uh, we hope you found a little bit of pleasure in this episode today. How about you, Doc? I feel the exact same way. I hope everyone out there is staying safe and sane. <laughs> there we go. It's been a it's been a bit of a marathon, and I hope everyone's keeping up. If for some reason you are struggling really badly, we did want to toss out to you, listeners, SAMHSA's national helpline. It is 1-800-662-HELP. And this is totally free. Reach out 24-7. And it is a hotline for substance abuse and mental health. So again, that number is 1-800-662-HELP or 1-800-662-4357. Just know you're not alone out there. There are people that are willing to uh, listen and give you a helping hand. And thank you, Doc, for bringing that to my attention so we can get it out there to our listeners. So take care of yourself, Doc. I'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. This episode of the University of Pleasure was produced, directed, and edited by me, Jeremiah James. It was written by Dr. Tara Jansen and me, Jeremiah James. The University of Pleasure theme music was written by the incomparable Robert Feldstein. Additional multimedia support by associate producer Kyle Binkley. And please remember, we want to be as inclusive as possible of the diverse experiences of others here at the University of Pleasure. So please email us your suggestions for topics that might be suited to you directly, questions, feedback, or just really great sex stories at contact at universityofpleasure.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to like, share, and subscribe to all of our social media.